0: Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri, and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. And for the first time ever, Abundant Life is live from the crossroads. Here we go, crossroads. Hey, I'm so thankful that in today's age with technology, we can be a church in many places yet still walk in complete unity. Even though you might not be in this space, we're in exactly the same place. And it's a joy. Lee Summit, Independence, Blue Springs, Crossroads, church houses all over our country to see a move of God together with one another. Now, most of you know that we're in a series called Fountain City as we, for the first time as a church, go to the heart of Kansas City. And to launch the church in the heart of Kansas City, we're doing a series called Fountain City. So a lot of people living in Kansas City don't know that we got a thing. Yeah, we got a thing. You got the Windy City, you got the Big Apple. Hey, hey, we're the city of fountains. That's right, the city of fountains. We have over 200 fountains. Some of you aren't nearly excited about that as I am. Come on. Yeah, we got over 200 fountains. We got more fountains than Paris, Instead of flying to Paris this summer, you just need a staycation if you live in Kansas City. That's how awesome this is, right? So 48. Publicly held fountains. We've been tracing this theme now through Scripture because you understand there's a real fountain city. I'm not talking about Kansas City. I'm talking about the real city of fountains. The one we talked about last week, Revelation 22 and verse 1. And I saw a pure river of water of life flowing from the throne of God. There really is a fountain city. And Jesus talked a great deal about this living water, this fountain of life. Now, when you think about the fountains in Kansas City, Of the 200 fountains, I don't know of one more important than this one. This is actually the Firefighters Memorial Fountain in South Kansas City. You know, Jesus said these words, The night before he would be crucified, there is no greater love than this, than a man should lay down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus was about to do, as he would die for our sin, and three days later, he'd rise from the dead, he would live again. Yet that is exactly also what six firefighters would do on November the 29th, 1988. They would lay down their lives, having been called to a fire, about four o'clock in the morning, they would die in an explosion that could be heard 40 miles away. What were these firefighters doing? They were running to the fire while others were running away. They were running to the danger while others were running away. You see, they were running to the problem while others were running away. And I want you to see they were willing to give their life while others were trying to save their life. And do you understand abundant life? That is the call on all of our lives. That's the call on every single one of us as Christians. While others are trying to save their lives, we're called to give our lives. Where others are running away, we're going to run to the darkness. No, the light doesn't run from the darkness. And I want you to see this is the call on all of our lives as those firefighters that night would give their lives so that others could live. That's what it means to be a Christian, to follow our leader, the one that gave his life so that others could live. So it makes sense that having renovated a 1940s warehouse into an Abundant Life church house, thank you, Pierce Construction, for another great job. Darren, you're a great partner in ministry, and Pierce has done um, all of our renovation construction now for many years. We're going to do it again soon. It makes sense that we're about to renovate an 1890s firehouse right next to this new Abundant Life church house. Now, I want to say, over the course of a couple of years, thousands of people gave sacrificially, financially, generously, so that we could have the privilege of being right here in the crossroads. And I want to give God all the glory, but I want to say thank you to all of you that gave for this dream to become a reality. Can we give it up for them right now? So many people came together. To see a gospel move of God in the heart of our city. Or we would not be here without the generosity of people giving their dollars financially to alter destinies eternally. And you know what happened? Uh, About four weeks ago, Sunday, uh, March 26th, we did this again. There's phase two of this Crossroads campus, this 1890s firehouse that sits right next to this now new Abundant Life church house. And our goal was, again, $2 million in one day of people giving generously for this kingdom impossibility to see lives change with the gospel eternally. And guess what happened? On Sunday, March 26th, I haven't actually shared this. I'm going to now. Uh, You guys all gave together a combined $1.7 million on that day. And then the very next Sunday, you gave $400,000. What that means is we're about to begin renovation on this firehouse right here in just a few weeks to finish out this campus. What is this going to be? Eventually, this is going to be kids space on Sunday morning to reach the next generation with the good news of the gospel. It's going to be a counseling center of our church through the week. Now, why would we do that? And I find it's ironic that at one time, a hundred years ago, there were firefighters in this very building and they were running to the fire to put out the fire, willing to give their life So that others could live. Guess why abundant life has come to the city? Why would we renovate this building, a former firehouse? I'll tell you why. Because the world is on fire. Lives are on fire. Now listen. There's many wonderful things we could say about our city. There's many wonderful reasons to be glad that we're alive in the 21st century. But here's the reality: our world is still on fire, and lives are on fire. Our world is burning because of sin and sadness and sickness and depression and people not living abundantly because of anxiety and worry and family tension and stress and duress. And it's in this very place that people are going to come feeling like my life has been burned down and here they're going to hear the hope of Jesus Christ. You see, we're coming to the city and we're going to be renovating this former firehouse for this reason, because Jesus is the solution. He has what he called the living water. Now, for this kind of fire, it doesn't take just any kind of water. No, it takes living water. Jesus talked about spiritual water. And this is what we've been tracing in the Siri fountain city. There's a real fountain that Jesus came to give. And here's what we're offering our city. This is what Jesus offers you today. Jesus came to give a dying world, a fountain of living water. See, it's a different kind of water. Now, there's a reason Kansas City was established, not just randomly, but very strategically, in this part of the world. The early pioneers would follow the water systems. Why? Well, because water is an essential of life. And so it made sense that the early pioneers would establish a town where the Kaw River flowed into the Missouri River, because water's always been an essential of life. And here's what Jesus is teaching. Water is an essential of life physically, but it's also an essential spiritually. And this is what Jesus meant. In John 7:37, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. See, Jesus was talking spiritually spiritually there is a living water that when you come to him you will never ever thirst again that your soul will be satisfied in him and out of your heart will flow rivers of living water says he was speaking of the spirit so you have life physically but what we need is life spiritually we all come into this world physically alive but spiritually dead because of sin ephesians 2 and verse 1 we are dead in our trespasses and sins you see sin doesn't simply make you bad it makes you dead This is why Jesus said You must be born again because of sin, we're born spiritually dead, even though we are physically alive. So Jesus was very, very clear. You must be born spiritually in the same way you were born physically. It says these words in Romans 5 and verse 12, for as by one man's sin that was Adam, death entered the world, so death passed on all men, for all have sinned. But what happens when you receive him and you put your faith in the Son of God, you receive the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God gives life to your dead spirit, and all of a sudden your heart is reborn, and this river of water flows from the heart, that living water, speaking of spiritual life. You see, the reality is God always gets to the heart of the problem. See, we normally look at the symptoms, and most of the world just tries to deal with the symptoms instead of getting below the surface to the heart of the problem and Jesus called this living water in the same way that a spring of water is only clean outwardly above the surface if it's clean below the surface. Listen, our lives will be a reflection outwardly of our heart's condition inwardly, and that is why the problem in our modern world is people are looking in all the wrong places for the solution. Hey, there are no political solutions to spiritual problems, There are no material solutions to spiritual problems. There are no physical solutions to spiritual problems. See, Jesus gets to the heart of the problem. He gets below the surface, and the problem is the heart of the human. But when you give your heart to him, he gives life to your heart that was dead spiritually and out of will flow rivers of living water. Now, we've been tracing this throughout Scripture, so I want you to open your Bible today to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. So I told you a few weeks ago what I love about the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. It's God's book of show and tell. So he shows us what he's going to do in the Old Testament. Then he tells us what he did in the New Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus says, I'm going to give you a well of water inside of you springing up into everlasting life. But he shows us that in a picture in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 17, it's about 1447 BC. God has redeemed the ancient people of Israel from Egyptian tyranny. No longer are they living under Egyptian captivity and Pharaoh's slavery. He sent a deliverer by the name of Moses. He's delivered them from slavery. No longer are they in captivity, and now he's leading them on a journey to the promised land, a land that God called flowed with milk and honey. If you ever go on the Holy Land tour with us, you'll see to the stake In an otherwise arid part of the world, it was desert, it was dry, there wasn't a lot of water. But when you come to this ancient land of Israel, the Jezreel Valley is a land of beauty and bounty and fertility. It flowed with milk and honey, and they're on the way now to that promised land and in between, Israel had to go through the wilderness. Think a desert. It was a desert, very difficult, dry, and dusty place, no longer in Egypt, but they're not yet in the promised land, and God is teaching them some things on this journey that their only hope was in him. Look at what it says now, Exodus chapter 17 and verse 1. It says this, then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin. Now, you know you're in a good Bible-preaching, Bible-believing church when we turn sin into two syllables. It's sin. They were at the wilderness of sin. Good Bible-preaching church. That's good preaching, isn't it? Now, when you see this wilderness of sin, don't think sin like our English term sin which is rebellion against God. Now, that's not actually what this word is talking about here. Sin was the name of the ancient moon god. And many of the ancient tribes in this part of the world of the Sinai Peninsula would worship the moon god. And so they were in this part of the desert that was dedicated to the moon god. Did you know there's always been counterfeit gods, many, many gods? We have counterfeit gods today, and I will promise when you are worshiping a counterfeit God, it will always lead you to a desert of desolation, a desert of ruin. There is no water in that desert. Only the living God can bring living water. And so they're now leaving this this desert of sin, this wilderness of sin dedicated to the mood God. According to the commandments of the Lord and camped in Rephidim, a different part of the desert of what is today the Sinai Peninsula. But there was no water for the people to drink. What is God teaching them? God is teaching these people that God is his, their only hope, their only source of life is in him. John 15, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, this is a hard lesson to learn because I've always been kind of an independently minded, like I can do this and I'll ask for help if I need it and only if I really need it. No, here's the reality. You have never been stronger when you confess that apart from God, you are weaker, that when you are weak, then you are strong. And God is teaching this little band of liberated slaves that their only hope was in him. He is the only source of their life. He leads them to another part of the desert, showing them there's no water here either. Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? I mean, imagine, here's what's going on. These people have been slaves for generations. They have been living in slavery and captivity. God has delivered them miraculously. They're just a few weeks after the Red Sea crossing. They see God do this amazing miracle and he parts the waters of the Red Sea. And now all of a sudden they're starting to complain and they're bickering and they're backbiting. I mean, Moses, what kind of a deliverer are you anyway? You deliver us from Egypt so we can all die of thirst. I mean, you read the whole Exodus account. Listen. Uh, These these people were hard to lead. I mean, by the time they got to the promised land, poor Moses, he had no hair left. He's probably pulling his hair out, man. I mean, really. So here they are. they're, They're wanting to stone him. Like, this is mutiny. And look what happens next. So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses... "'Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. "'Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river.'" That was the Nile. "'And go.'" And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now, I told you this is a picture. God tells you in the New Testament what he did, but he shows you in the Old Testament what he's going to do. It's a word picture. You know in Scripture, if you know that much about the Bible at all, that the rock in Scripture is a picture of who? Jesus, that's right. Jesus in Matthew 7 said, the wise man builds his life upon the rock and the rock is Christ. So you have a picture here of Moses striking the rock and God's going to do a miracle. Picture this great big boulder and out of this boulder, as Moses strikes that rock, God does this miracle and brings water from a rock, water enough to water. About two million people, scholars tell us this was a bona fide miracle. And all of that was a picture of one day, another rock would come in our place And God the Father would strike the rock. I'm talking about his son. And he would die for our sin. And three days later, he would rise again. And from that rock, there would come living water. I'm talking about eternal life. God did an absolute miracle to set this band of liberated slaves free and now show them personally that he is able sufficiently to take them to this land that would flow with milk and honey. Now, check this out this is more than history because what the apostle Paul would tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is this history is also our story See, it's more than history. We are in them. And this history is to teach us personally of our journey spiritually. You see, like ancient Israel, Christ has set us free from sin slavery and now leads us on a journey to the promised land spiritually, life abundantly. You understand Jesus said, if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Now, the implication is, apart from Jesus, we're not free. We're in captivity. You know what Jesus said? He that commits sin is a slave to sin. And every single one of us are born in prison. We're born in slavery and captivity under sin's penalty until Jesus comes and sets us free. You see, like this ancient generation of Israelites, they were in slavery and had no hope of being free. But God sent them a deliverer by the name of Moses. And do you understand that two thousand years ago, God sent us one better than Moses, one greater than Moses, someone named Jesus, and because he died for our sin and rose again, he has broken the curse of sin for all men and all women. He has the power to set us free from sin's penalty so that we're no longer under Satan's tyranny. And now he wants to lead us on a journey to the promised land spiritually. Jesus said in John 10 and verse 10, I've come to give you life and you can have it more abundantly. Wow. That would make a great name for a church, wouldn't it? I think I like that name. Yeah, Jesus said in John 10 and verse 10, I'm coming to give you life and you can have it more abundantly. That is the promised land spiritually. See, you were not made as a child of God to live like a prisoner. As a child of God, you were made to be a pioneer. Not a prisoner, but a pioneer. Now, I told you, this history is our story. This generation of Israelites that came out of Egypt would never, ever step foot in the promised land. Though they were set free from slavery, they would never possess their God-given destiny. And we're going to see why momentarily. Because they would not believe God, they would not obey God for the next 40 years, even though they were not in slavery, they would live as though they were still in captivity, They would choose a life of mediocrity. They would do what they thought was going to be easy instead of crossing over to their God-given destiny in a land that would flow with milk and honey. I want you to see that is the picture of so many Christians. Enough faith to get out of Egypt, not enough faith to get in the promised land. Enough faith to get into heaven, but not enough faith to get through that trial, that tribulation, that temptation. So many Christians live and die forever stuck halfway. In a wilderness of mediocrity, if not complete captivity, instead of going the distance to their God-given destiny, the promised land spiritually, life abundantly. Church, listen carefully. We were not made by Jesus to be prisoners. We were made to be pioneers. What is a pioneer? A pioneer is one who's willing to risk all that is for all that could be. A pioneer is somebody that is fueled by hope and a dream. They go to a land they've never been, to a place they've never seen and that is the calling of God on every single one of our lives. A spiritual pioneer risks all they have for all that could be to reach a God-given destiny. Our church has done this over and over and over again. Why are we now in the crossroads, having started in Lee Summit, Missouri, and then Blue Springs, Missouri, and then Independence, Missouri, and crossroad campus right here today? Why? Because we came to the crossroads over and over again, and at that crossroads, we Made the decision to trust God in what seemed like an impossibility, in the seem like improbabilities. But when you trust God for what seems like impossibilities, dreams become realities. And here we are today, with a pioneering vision once again, going to a place we'd never been, to a land we've never seen, the very heart of Kansas City, to bring living water to a world that is dying. Crossroads all over a city, and I'm talking church houses all over our country of pioneering men and women spiritually that are embracing their God-given destiny to advance his fame, to advance his name. That is what God has called every single one of us to do. Every single one among us is called to be a pioneer. I'm talking a pioneer spiritually to break new ground for God and new ground for the kingdom. And I want you to see what happens ultimately in a city like Kansas City. I thought as I looked at this picture, this might be the most beautiful, obviously digitally altered picture <laughs> of downtown Kansas City I've ever seen. Isn't that picture amazing? I mean, really, that's an amazing picture of Kansas City. In our in our city a thing of beauty. I mean, I have stood on the rooftop right here of Crossroads many times at dusk, and it's always a beautiful thing to see, but I have never seen this thing. Wow that's amazing, isn't it? But think about this for a moment. Before any of this was here, a pioneer had been here. See, before there were any settlers or city builders, a pioneer had been here. None of this would be here were it not for a pioneer risking all that is for all that could be to go to a place they'd never been, to a land they'd never seen. Two million people now call the Kansas City Metro home. But before there were the two million people that calls the Kansas City Metro home, a pioneer was first here. And none of them would be here were it not a pioneer that had first come here. So meet what historians call the father of Kansas City. This is John Calvin McCoy. He's called the father of Kansas City. He was a pioneer preacher and a Christian missionary that came here to this part of the world in 1833. And this pioneer preacher actually built uh, what amounted to a trading post for pioneers going west. And he would call that trading post Westport because it was the last trading post as pioneers were heading west. And then he would establish something called Westport Landing on a rocky outcrop of the Missouri River where boats could dock on this rocky outcrop of the Missouri River. And it was about four miles to the river from his trading post called Westport. And it was there that he began having wagons come and go from the river, bringing supplies, going back again and bringing more supplies, and that went on for some time. And what would happen as those wagons were going back and forth, bringing supplies from the river to... Westport to his trading post is that trail got wider and wider and wider from all the wagons that were going back and forth. And that trail that was wide and that trail that was broad would eventually be known as Broadway, which means today you can go to the corner of Westport and Broadway. And if you do, you will see the Pioneer Square Monument at the corner of Westport and Broadway. And you have three figures here of the early pioneers of Kansas City. Alexander Majors, who started the Pony Express. John Calvin McCoy, the pioneer preacher that made this trading post for pioneers going west. And you also have a very famous mountain man known as Jim Bridger, all of which were citizens of Kansas City. I want you to see none of this would be here were pioneers not first here. And do you understand that is a picture of what God has called every single one of us to do? Can you imagine what it must have been like as these people said goodbye to their families and goodbye to their security, and they went on a journey to a place they'd never been, to a land they had never seen? And do you understand that is a picture of God's call on all of our lives to be pioneers spiritually, to risk all that is for all that could be? Do you understand we're not called to be prisoners, but pioneers and so many Christians choose to be simply settlers and shade dwellers instead of being pioneers spiritually to advance a kingdom, his fame and his name. Listen, church, these are difficult days to be alive, aren't they? I mean, they really are. There's lots of beautiful reasons that we can be thankful to be alive in the 21st century. I really, really mean that. There's still beauty in the world. There's still beauty in the city. But the simple reality is we live at a difficult time. And since the fall of Adam, times have always been difficult. It was sin that sent God's perfection of creation into chaos and confusion. You see, with sin came sickness and suffering and sadness and wars and wickedness. And we live at a time where it feels like to me that righteousness is retreating and wickedness seems to be winning again and again and again and again. And we hear about new and deadly diseases all over the place at all times and every day. And we have an economy that's fragile as fine China and Finland is in the air. But I want you to see, well, these are difficult days. These are days to take new ground for God. These are days to take new ground for the king, new ground for the kingdom, which is why we're now in the crossroads. Instead of our church staying where it was safe and just hanging on to what we had, we came to that place again, a crossroads. When we believe God again, And when you put your faith in action, you see God then go in action. Listen, when you act on the vision, then God always brings the provision. And that's what pioneers do to go to a new place that they've never been, to see God do new things that they had never ever seen. You see, our church is launched in the crossroads of Kansas City. And today, many are at a crossroads in life. Listen, I remember 23 years ago, As a Kansas City, Missouri police officer, January of 2000, sitting in a police car late one night, pondering a crossroads in my life, ironically not far from the crossroads where I now stand. And I was pondering this crossroads in my life. See, I thought I had a plan for my life. I was traveling a specific road for my life. My plan was a law enforcement career, and I was doing well in my career, and I was upwardly mobile and getting promoted, and I was succeeding at what I was doing, and it was a career of stability and security and predictability and comfort financially. And I'm sitting there one night in my police car pondering. See, I had this sense of God calling me. To take a new road in life. You talk about a crossroads. I had this sense God calling me to be a pastor, a preacher. I might even say a pioneer preacher. I mean, to do things that hadn't been done, to take this little church and and have this God-sized dream and pioneer a move of God and pioneer a vision, this, this new destination. But I'm sitting there in my police car one night and I'm literally pondering this Exodus account. I'm literally meditating on the story of which is real history, and I see myself in the story. And I remember thinking, you know, this same generation that saw God part the Red Seas, they saw God bring manna down from heaven and provide for them miraculously. They were there that day when God brought water from a rock. They would get right to the brink of crossing over into the promised land. You can read about this, Numbers chapter 13, Numbers chapter 14. They were in a place called Kadesh Barnea. You know what Kadesh Barnea was? It was a wilderness oasis. Kadesh Barnea means wilderness sanctuary. You see, if you don't reach your destiny, God has given you from eternity, it's perfectly okay if Satan makes you a POW, a prisoner of war, and he'll even give you a sanctuary, that'll make it easy. And I realized that night, sitting in my police car, that my wilderness sanctuary was, in fact, this police car. I know the movies make it look like, you know, it's danger every day, one adrenaline dump after another, but but honestly, it's not like that. I mean, truthfully, I could have spent years and years and years in this career, it predicted a sanctuary of predictability, a sanctuary of security, a sanctuary financially. Honestly, it was, it was easy. And I was at a crossroads in my life. Will I trust God for something I can't yet imagine? On paper, this doesn't make sense. Like, I'm so not ready to be a pastor. I am so underqualified. Like, there's no way I can succeed. That's how I felt at the time. And I was fear of failure and full of anxiety and worry. And I'm going to burn this bridge to my career. And there is no going back from here. And I remember sitting in my wilderness sanctuary, knowing God was calling me to something new, something else, to be a pioneer, yet sitting there like a prisoner. And I remember weighing the risk, literally weighing the risk, and in this hand, I could go down in flames. I could burn this bridge to my career and answer this calling, or I could answer this calling and stay with my career And I remember weighing the risk. And in this hand, honestly, church, I thought I could fail, like there is no reason on paper that I should succeed. I could fail miserably, fall flat on my face in the ministry. But in this hand, I could see God move miraculously. I could see God do something unexplainably. I could see God move supernaturally. And I weighed the risk that night in my wilderness sanctuary as I pondered this crossroads of my life, not far from the crossroads where I stand today. And I made the decision that night that what I had in this hand was worth the risk of what I have in this hand. And I'm trying to tell you today, as you come to a crossroads in life that seems risky, and it means living dangerously and it means trusting God for things you cannot yet see. I will promise you that every single time you take a step of faith, even when it doesn't make sense, every single time you put your faith in motion, which is obedience in action, you're gonna put God in motion and if you wanna see a move of God in your life, you gotta make a move for God in your life and as you make your move, God makes his. But as long as you're waiting on God, God's waiting on you. And I look back 23 years over the course of my life, and sometimes I wonder, what would have been like had I made another decision to choose the safe road, the easy road? And you know what? It would have been a comfortable life. It would have been a good life. It just wouldn't have been God's life. And too much of the time, out of fear, We choose good over God. Too much of the time, because of fear and anxiety and a lack of faith and a lack of trust, we choose to stay in a wilderness sanctuary because it seems easy. It's not risky. But we never see all God might have done in the promised land spiritually, a life that would flow with milk and honey, a life that impacts more than time, but also eternity. For some of us, we're at the crossroads. Like, do I choose Jesus or go my own way? This is the crossroads Jesus talked about. Look at what he says in Matthew seven thirteen: Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it here's what jesus is teaching there's only two roads in life you choose your road and choose carefully there is the jesus road that leads to life everlasting there is living water but every other road the broad road it leads to death and destruction the wages of sin is death we live at a time you hear this all the time well just pick a road any road will do all roads lead to the same place all roads lead to heaven. All religions lead to God. How silly. It's not only unbiblical, it's illogical. You know how crossroads got us named? This is the area of the world where three roads crossed. Pioneer roads, three trails. And pioneers would come to this very place, we now sit and I now stand, and they would have to make a decision. What road will I travel? They could take the Santa Fe Trail And that road went down to New Mexico. They could take the California Trail and that road would lead to California. They could take the Oregon Trail, and that road would lead to Oregon. Crossroads got its name because three pioneer roads crossed, and those early pioneers had to make a decision. What is my destination? Because not all roads lead to the same destination. You better make a careful decision. You see, it is silly. It is illogical to say, all roads lead to heaven. Just pick a road. No, here's what Jesus was teaching. All roads don't lead to heaven. There is the broad road of which most people you know are traveling. It is their road. I'm going to go my way instead of Jesus' way. It's the broad way. And they don't all lead to the same place. But then there's the Jesus way, what he called the narrow way, the narrow road, because few people are traveling that way. That way leads to life. All other roads lead to death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You choose your road, choose carefully, because your road will take you in a direction that will take you to a different destination. If you're at the crossroads of life, sitting today in the crossroads, choose carefully, choose your road. Listen carefully. Like this ancient generation of Israelites, many today choose the wrong road at life's crossroads, death instead of life. And this is the point the Apostle Paul would make 1,400 years later in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In the Old Testament, Exodus 17, God shows you what he's going to do. In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10, God tells you what he did. Look at what Paul says. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. Remember in the Exodus account, God leads them by day in a pillar of a cloud. It says all pass through the sea. Speaking of the red sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, meaning that manna that came down from heaven. it was a miracle bread that appeared every single morning. God fed them miraculously here 's what Jesus said in john six i 'm the manna that came down from heaven. I am the bread of life that manna spoke of him. it was a picture of him, and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that That rock was Christ. In the very same way Moses struck the rock, and they all drank of that water. That rock was Christ. And that water was something pictured spiritually, that living water that leads to life eternally. But with most of them, look at what it says, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. They died in the wilderness, never having seen the promised land and all that could be. They never made it to their God-given destiny. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition. Paul is saying, learn from their example. Choose wisely at the crossroads. They came to a crossroads. Choose God, reject God, trust God. Run from God. And because of disbelief and disobedience, it costs an entire generation their God-given destination. Some of us here are young adults. I was a young adult at the time. I was at a crossroads. I am so glad I made the hard decision and chose the hard road, and God's road. Now is the time as a young adult to choose your destination 30 years from now. Now is the time as an older adult to choose your destination, not just for the rest of your life in here, but also the hereafter. Choose life instead of death today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Psalm 95, the psalmist 400 years later would look back and say, here was the problem in the wilderness. They hardened their hearts as in rebellion. He says, today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. Listen, living water does not flow from hardened hearts. If you want the living water, I'm talking life spiritually, life abundantly, life eternally. It demands a heart of humility, Jeremiah 2.13, we live at a time today like Jeremiah's day for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me and the fountain of living waters and they have honed themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You see, when you choose another road instead of the Jesus road, it's rejecting the fountains of living water and instead digging your own cistern, a broken cistern, that can hold no water. And that is where we live today. Most people you know, trying to dig their own well, do it their own way, looking for water in places it's empty. There's no hope. It's broken. What do we do? Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life to turn away from the snares of death. Do you want the fountain of life, the Lord Jesus Christ? It's the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? It means coming to God in a heart of humility and surrender saying, God, I will live your way not my way. God, I'll do it your way, not my way. That's the fear of the Lord. And when you live in the fear of the Lord, surrender to God Almighty. He will give you a fountain of living water personally that leads to eternal life. Church Kansas City has always been a city of pioneers, still is. This campus is on the base of what's called Hospital Hill. You walk three blocks that direction, three blocks south of where i now stand you come to children's mercy hospital and you probably have looked at this over and over again like i have for many many years if you live in kansas city you've driven by here it's a landmark of our city our city is known for its fountains it's also known honestly for its pioneering medicine other doctors come here from around the world to learn modern science and and medicine Children's Mercy Hospital, where tens of thousands and thousands and thousands of children have been given life instead of death for the last 125 years. Guess how it began? Two pioneering women. It was the dream of two pioneering doctors, two sisters, by the name of Elizabeth and Alice Berry. One was a dentist, one was a surgeon. 1897, they had a dream of establishing a hospital. They called it for little people, a hospital just for children. And because of their dream, it became a reality, what seemed like an impossibility, and now life has been given for over 125 years to thousands and thousands of children. Now, that alone is a pretty awesome story, but it doesn't end there. Driving by Children's Mercy at night, you would see this. To the untrained eye it doesn't mean anything it's a bunch of randomly lit windows but to the trained eye it means something there are four genetic codes that are written in these windows these bright white lights are actually four DNA sequences of genetic anomalies that existed in four Children's Mercy patients with very rare diseases. And if you look carefully, there's these bright red lights. Those four bright red lights actually represent a rare genetic mutation that was discovered by Children's Mercy scientists. And it was in this building that those pioneering scientists discovered not only the rare genetic mutation, but also the cure. And four of these children with this rare genetic mutation, this rare disease was given life up on Hospital Hill. Now listen carefully, I am thankful we live at a time of scientific enlightenment and advances in medicine, because a lot of things our ancestors had to deal with, we don't have to. But listen carefully, here's the reality. You might be healed from a rare genetic disease, and modern medicine might extend your life by decades. But here's what's going to happen eventually. You will die of something. We all will. The wages of sin is death. These bodies will one day die. But that is not the end. That is only the beginning. And the good news is there's another hospital hill. It was outside the city of Jerusalem. It's called Mount Calvary. And there was somebody else 2,000 years ago that walked up hospital hill. And ultimately, he is the cure for our sin. The wages of sin is death. He is the one that that has the solution to the deepest human problem. And the deepest human problem is a problem of the human heart. He has the power to heal our broken hearts. He has the power to redeem us from sin and addiction and depression, anxiety and worry, and set us free from that prison and lead us on a journey to a land that flows with milk and honey, life abundantly in the here and life eternally forever. Why in the world... Would anybody reject the cure? A doctor comes to you with a cure for a disease. You know you're going to die. It's mortal. You say, No thanks. Keep it to yourself. Jesus comes to you today with a cure the cure for the human soul. Why would anybody reject it? He chose to give his life so that you could live. And the only thing today you need to do is humble your heart before God and from your heart will flow a fountain of life, living water. Jesus, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice. I'm gonna ask all that call Abundant Life Home to stand your feet right now. Would you do this with me? At every single campus, in every single space, at every single church house. We're all in the same place. One church, one bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pioneers. Not prisoners. And if indeed you'll answer that call to follow Jesus on a pioneer road, the Calvary Road, to take the gospel To a world that is dying. Whatever that means, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hands to heaven with me right now. Just a universal sign of surrender. As one bride, as one body, together, doing together what none of us could ever do apart. Jesus, here we are. One church, one body, all over. This nation, from Quebec, Canada, to New Richmond, Wisconsin. Cedar Falls, Iowa, and Houston, Texas, Atlanta, Georgia, Mexico, Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri, Pleasant Hill, Missouri, Kansas City, Missouri and its surrounding suburbs. God, you've called us to be pioneers, to risk all that is for all that could be. to go to a place we've never been, to a land we've never seen, to break new ground for God, a new ground for the gospel. And today, in the heart of Kansas City, at the base of Hospital Hill, I pray this campus and this place and this space could be a spiritual hospital for decades to come. The thousands and thousands and thousands of and tens of thousands for years and years to come. We'll find the hope of Jesus, the living water of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at AbundantLifeLS.